Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships. My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I'm super excited to welcome Marcus Westberg. He is an acclaimed photographer, award-winning, and he's also a storyteller. He tells stories through his photos and through his work in conservation. I was totally stunned with his photos when I started following him on Instagram. And he's also married to a lit teacher, Jess, who is on our lit prime and is an amazing teacher. And together the two of them are this couple that really are walking their talk in so many ways. So today we talk about his venture into becoming this conservation photographer. He wasn't even a photographer to begin with, but he went to school for conservation and learned how important it is to share his work through the lens, literally, of his camera, but also the lens of his ethos, his intention to be kind and help the world. We speak about all of his messages and his work and I think you'll just fall in love with him. He is truly a storyteller, and he's doing his work to help the world become a better place, to heal the world, to pay attention to climate change, the changes that are impacting the natural world, that are impacting humans, so much more. Enjoy my conversation with Marcus. 
Welcome, Marcus. So excited to have you on today. I am a big fan. I think I've let you know that, but I, I hope that after this podcast, everyone becomes your big fan as well. So welcome. Thank you very much. Well, it's nice, <laughs> I'm nice going to get you speed. Uh, that's right. And you also, full disclosure, he also is a uh, lit practitioner, we shall say, and married to a lit teacher. Uh, let's just start off right away how you got into the profession. Can you describe your profession and what inspired you to go down this route? Yeah, I don't know. My um, hour just profession varies from week to week uh, I, you know there's a, there's a part of you that just feels like there are so many different uh, ways to describe it and it, sometimes I think it gets really pretentious because, and then I'm just like no I'm just a photographer and then sometimes I, I'm more specific it's conservation photography or travel photography but yeah I'm a photographer and uh, I suppose storyteller like I write I don't consider myself a journalist but I guess I'm, I'd be a, a writer as well I'm focusing partly on conservation issues and, and partly on travel, but I, I mean, I, I think a lot of these things tie in together much of the time. So that was a Had long you, answer to a very yeah. simple question. No, it's not actually, because I want to <laughs> really actually uh, delve a little deeper. How did you, from a young age, did you know that photography was something you wanted to do as your profession? That, that, that's a big leap of faith because I imagine photography is is like other art forms, not necessarily easy to get into and easy to make a career out of. Am I wrong I mean, in, in assuming that? No, not at all. And I think it's um, combined with the media landscape not being um, great at the moment. If you want to actually make a living from it, with magazines cutting rates and shutting down, um, and on you know photography as a hobby has proliferated so much in the last decade or so, which is fantastic, but it also means that it's harder to get paid properly because, you know, there's just, there's just so many images out there. Um, I went through a short period as a, in my early teens, I think, when, when I was slightly into photography, then I didn't give it another thought for a long time. I had a previous career as a personal trainer in my early 20s, and then I studied conservation didn't really get into um, photography until halfway through the conservation degree. Uh, and then I moved to Kenya when I finished my, my degree. So my, I studied in Australia, Tasmania. And um, luckily, I was completely delusional about how good I was as a photographer at the time. I decided to invest in more equipment and give it a proper go. I, I looked back on it later and I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I was awful. But I'm glad that I thought so because it, you know, as it turned out, I did have some hidden talent there somewhere. And by the time I finished my research in Kenya, which was why I moved there, I basically decided to do conservation photography and photography in general a, a proper go. Um, partly because I thought it was just more fun, um, but primarily because I realized that there wasn't a shortage of people doing important research in the field. That, that really wasn't the problem. The problem was that very few other people knew that they existed and never heard about the projects. And I thought, you know, maybe what I could do, um, you know, um, how I can contribute best would be to, to try to communicate some of that to lay people uh, without using um, academic language and, and all that. And photography, obviously, you know, sometimes does speak louder than words as well. Oh, it definitely does. And I, and I remember reading um, 
you know, different kind of blogs and and discern, discerning um, conversations that just lay people were having about, say, like the 50 most beautiful people in the world. And there would always be in there you know, celebrities. And then there would be some people that are doing amazing work in the world, whether it's conservation or research or um, charity, charity, charity work. And they were, they were in that fit. And then pe people were like, why aren't more of them consider like getting this kind of fame and recognition, not, not for being beautiful. That was just the conversation yeah. starter that you could ask so many people like, about a celebrity and they're gonna know. And then all these people who are doing work that is vital and, and but doesn't get enough exposure. So I think it's interesting that you had that intuition to like give them more exposure through your work. I mean, I, I think that ties into to bigger societal trends as well. You could say the same thing about teachers, people, you know, working in hospitals, all kinds of, you know, firefighters and all kinds of people that we don't necessarily value the way we were a sports star or um, a singer and I guess that's that, know, you're right that it, of, of the exactly. kind of society we live in but but for sure i think given given the challenges we we are facing on a, on a global scale um you know it, it's nice that there are there are people a doing the really important work and, and other people that be you know trying to trying to give them a bit of attention and i'm obviously not alone at all in that and it's great to have publications dedicated to, to those things like National Geographic and all levels. So I'd like to know a little bit more about conservation. First, how did you decide to go from being a personal trainer to um, what inspired you to, to study conservation? And I think many of us understand what that means just on the surface, but what do you study in conservation? And like kind of what is the mission? I'm sure there's obviously lots of different avenues um but can you tell us a little bit about like was there like some pivotal moment you're like i really instead of helping people with their body i want to help them with <laughs> you learn more about how to conserve our planet um i, I mean honestly i, I think my the, the first part in the, the career personal training in sports science was partly yeah i mean it was definitely something i was interested in but it was also a lack of other ideas uh, when, I, when I finished high school and, and like you know, I had them going into fitness at that point and I wanted to move to Australia and decided that university and I studied like a student loan was the way to do it and ended up in Queensland but I've always been interested in pretty much everything I mean I, I love reading anything I can get my hands on from an early age well and we spent a lot of time in nature as a, you know as a family when I grew up I traveled a lot after that in real Guam Lived, lived in um, several different countries when I was young as well with my parents. And I think this just kind of came, came naturally during your travels and so on, getting a bit more conscious about what you're seeing and what you're not seeing so much of anymore. Um, and then in, in the end, I, you know, the, the degree, I'm not sure that I knew I was going to go into conservation as such, but it was a degree that allowed me a great deal of freedom to choose exactly what I studied. And as I started, um, I was in Tasmania for that time, and that's where the first green political party in the world started. And some of my teachers were founding members of the Wilderness Society, and that opened my eyes in, in a very different different way. I, I was I was assuming probably growing up you had some uh, the ethos in your family. 
you know, I think that's, you know, I remember watching my mom recycle and before recycling was big, you know, and she would like gather everything. And there's like one place in the entire state that you could go and take recycle. And so she had that. Some of it was because her mother had lived through the depression. And so there was this idea of like only taking what you need and, and not wasting. So that just, but that, that stayed with me, this idea, there's so much waste in the world and recycling. Obviously there's it's it's not at all a perfect system, um, but I think yeah. the like we're, we can be exposed to these ideas early on, and I think that exposure is what stays with us. You know, I think that um, we can be moved by some problem in the world, but it can also just go right out of our brain if we're not kind of constantly exposed to that. So I guess I want to ask, what is what do you find is most impactful for you personally when you're witnessing through the lens of the camera um, the natural world and, and how it is changing dramatically due to global issues? Well, I mean, I guess I should answer the, um, your second question from before about what is conservation. Yeah. Oh, to, yes. To tie into that. Um, because I'm, sorry. <laughs> on the ground move. Um, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I think the way a lot of people in the field even look at it is conservation, practically speaking, is about managing the relationship between humans and non-human, right? Whether it's ecosystems as a whole or, or particular species. We often talk about human-wildlife conflict, which is the easiest way to describe a lot of the, the conflict, quote-unquote, that then occurs. Though, in reality, that conflict tends to be people-people conflict. And that drives some people into closer contact with wildlife or wild habitats because there's less land available or it's too expensive in one area so we get pushed into another. I was working in a in a national park in southwestern Angola a couple of weeks ago, and the population inside the human population inside the national park has gone from something like 150 to over 5,000 in the last few decades. And it's largely because they are being driven in there by expanding agriculture outside the Okay, and the population is growing very quickly, so where do you go? Well, there's no people living in here, so let's go there. And that then creates a conflict of interest with the wild animals living there. Right? It's difficult to cohabit with lions um, if you have goats, for example. And of course, that's not the lion's fault, but I think it, you know you can easily identify underlying issues it's, it's a lot more complex to to try to identify solutions and even culprits like um, i think culprits are pretty useless way to look at things it's just everything is very complicated and that then becomes you know obviously it's a challenge if you're working in conservation but it's also a challenge if you're trying to communicate um, about conservation because you, you do want to present that fairly like it's very easy to say oh these are the poachers they're the bad guys especially if a ranger gets killed or something else happens. But it's usually a lot more complicated than that. And at the same time, you can't just walk on about, you know, how everything is super nuanced because you also, there's usually a purpose to it, right? Like you need, you're trying to raise money. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're trying to raise awareness for an organization um, that needs support in, in a certain way. So to say, oh, it's really the canon. Yeah, it's great as it is, but you also need to. But, but these are some things, some areas where we can at least focus on. Um, sorry, now I completely forgot what you were asking after that. Uh, so. Well, 
Uh, no, that's actually like let's let's go there because um, this is all tied in to conservation and 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 um, I I guess um, it's probably important for you to highlight a little bit for people because I think for like let's say Africa for example Africa hmm. is a continent made up of different countries and each country and I would dare say each region within the country is going to have different conservation. Um, topics or issues is there any in the in the work you've done in the different countries in Africa is there any kind of overlapping conservation topic that you're involved in whether it's you know I'm sure it all comes down again it's resources money you know people that are poaching they're getting a lot of money from another you know another country giving them that and they don't have a lot they don't have a lot of other resources or this looks very you know, wonderful to make this kind of money. But can is there one kind of overlying um, conservation topic that that you see across these different countries or regions? I mean, I mean, look if you want to if you want to be um, a little bit philosophical about it, which I, I have a tendency to to dwell, you know, go into that. Um, then the underlying problem everywhere in the world is that as you know, as a as a species, we Despite the fact that we we are capable of thinking about these things, we seem to be incapable of um, allowing non-human animals and other living things the the, the sort of the right and this, this, the right to have their own space and live their own lives. Right. So, the you know when whenever there is a conflict of interest, the outcome is is fairly inevitable. Right, because it's you know who is who is going to stand up and say, well, you know, like no, no, we can't prioritize the people living here. And at the same time, you know, as much as that happens in a, on a at a micro scale, like overall, that trend becomes. I mean, it's just it's so detrimental to us and to the planet. There was a recent study now saying that um, only about three percent of the world's ecosystems are functional. In the sense that they have the predators saying they have all the stages of the food web that they that doesn't mean that they're completely intact it just means at least they are working more or less the way they should and and, and that's that's pretty scary but but the yeah the underlying issue if you want to be a bit more concrete everywhere in the world is that the human population is growing um and that means that we need more land or we think we need more land and the only land that remains available and habitable tends to be um, places where you know we have the, the sort of the last remaining refuges of wild wild areas, right? Like wildlife and forests and savannas and whatever it might be. Um, and and then you know the the solution in in many cases in Africa has been all right. Well, then we need we need nature based tourism, right? Because at least that way you can make money off this the same way that you would if you had agriculture there, for example. Um, and and you know. I, I think that's fair enough. Like we can be ideological about it and, and say that well, it shouldn't have to be that way. I agree, it shouldn't have to be, but that that's just the reality of it. And in the short term, we're not going to change, um, you, you know, like eight, seven, or eight billion people's outlook on things like this. So that the best we can do for the moment is at least not destroy more, and then see if we can work our way back to there. And you know, I, I'd say that wealthier parts of the world where we don't you need to to do that in the same way. I mean, okay, you know, we like, you know, my native country, Sweden, 
we could easily put aside a large proportion of our land and just protect it because you know the, the amount of money that that we would get in from nature-based tourism um, relative to you know the average salary and the economy of the country is not very much and it's not going to make a massive difference like we don't we're not relying we're not going to starve if we don't do that um whereas obviously you know the 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 you know quarter of the country and especially the people who tend to live in and around um, you know these areas are not going to be the wealthiest people in that country either and on that day you have to be more understanding and and um you know those of us who have it better we we need to like this contribute more so do you think for those uh, those countries that um, don't have the same kind of resources that we do, that are living closer to wildlife and whatnot, how, how impactful is education in terms of educating them about, you know, like any time I've gone to Africa, the wildlife conservationists there say, we're really working with the, you know, the locals to... Um, have them be involved and understand how important it is to maintain the the wildlife, to to take care of them, to to not harm them, to not whatever, because ultimately that's going to benefit them. And then there, a lot of them will be hired by different type of uh, tourist agencies. And so educating them about how protecting their country, their the animals that are inhabiting that, is really important for their own kind of not survival, but, you know, adva- just not struggle, I guess. How, how, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with it? Yeah, well, 100%. Um, and if you look at the, the kind of more successful, um, I guess, like area, like wild protected area management NGOs, like African parks, for example, um, the relationship with the communities come first and foremost. You, you know, it's the only way to do this long term. Um, but another reason that you you do it is, of course, that that's at least again, it's something concrete you can do on the ground. Like you you can influence um, people, you know, you know, living in a relatively small area by providing things, services. Right? You can put in formals, You can hire people for jobs. Again, it's not it's not generally that people don't care. It's just you've got other priorities if you're trying to put food on the table, just like you know we we do in, in our parts of the world. Um, as well, I mean, I find that there's often quite a lot of hypocrisy um, from where we come from, right? Because we we do expect people in in you know living adjacent to wild places in Africa to put up with whatever they need to put up with. Because of course we can't lose the elephants and we can't lose the lions. And I completely agree. But you know, in Sweden right now, we're going through the biggest wolf hunts in decades. Um, trying to bring down the population to the minimum number that could potentially like still carry the species forward. And that's a very, very different way of looking at it. I mean, I, you know, I could imagine how people would react in Sweden if Kenya decided that, you know what, we're going to shoot as many lions as we have without risking that they go extinct. And it, it yeah, but, but again, like, you know, by deal, by, by working with local populations, like it's obviously very productive, um, especially for the long-term um, you know, cohabitation of people and wildlife, but it's also something that you you really know that you can influence. It would be incredibly important to you know educate people in um, you know in China when it comes to the use of, of so-called traditional medicine 
explore in our part of the world as well with, you know, how do we travel? How do we spend our money? How discerning are you with things like this? What do you consume? Um, but well, that's much more difficult because, you know, the scale of that is just, that really needs to be done on a, on a government level. There's no other way to, to approach it. So I think, you know, by focusing on, on the local where you are actually trying to protect a species or an area, um, you know, it's, you know, that you can actually achieve results in a, in a different way. So if you were hired by someone in Sweden to go in, like, what, what would you say here? Here's what we need to do instead of shooting all these wolves. Like what, what, um, because that not, not people, shoot them. Well, of course, <laughs> of course, let's not it's shoot the wolves. It's too. not their I mean, fault. My goodness. But well, but, there's and, not and, even popular support for it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like a lot of these questions, uh, you know, that you, what you tend to find more and more, the more you dive into them, it is that it's usually a small number of people driving things. And it's just that, you know, we're so inundated in things to worry about both for ourselves, you know, like the economy is doing this and fuel is expensive and this is happening and I need to keep my job, you know. And and in addition to that, there are just so many things wrong with the world that it's it's quite easy for things, you know, important issues to, to kind of happen quietly without yes. anyone taking too much notice. And right now there is a lot being written about the wolf abroad as well, which is great. But it hasn't, I mean, you know, once every couple of years, whenever it's time for another call, there will be an article in The Guardian, and then that's it. And you know, But by that time, it's already happening, and then the hunting lobby groups are very strong, even though they're a very small part of the population. Um, the, the rest of the people want to, you know, want to keep them, but it's just, it's not important enough for most people compared to the many, many other things um, that, that they're going to expand the same amount of energy on it as the people who actually do want to shoot the wolves or clear cut the forest or, you know, whatever, whatever the issue, the issue might be. Can you, I'm not, I'm not going to assume that you, um, have the biological background of like, you know, the vacuum that's then set forth when you take down a bunch of different, if you killed all these wolves, but can you explain to people because this seems like a simple procedure, there's an overpopulation, let's just wipe some of them out. But the pro not only is it incredibly unethical and cruel, and but what else does it really solve the issue? Well, there is no issue to begin with. I mean, there is no overpopulation. That's you know, and Spain and Italy both have almost three thousand wolves each, and they're you know, Italy is smaller than Sweden and has six times the population of humans. Um, Spain is about the same size and has five times as many people. So I mean, this is. You know what you often find on, on uh, and you know it's not just about this but about all kinds of issues right is, is that you can always angle it into appearing as though there is an issue that at the end of the day isn't really well we have 460 wolves in sweden including pups i mean it's oh my goodness in, in, in one of the biggest countries in europe it's not you know there is no overpopulation um but but if anything you, you know if you want to look at what would be argued that that the issue is is it comes back to that that philosophical point, right, about who has the right to do what. And so, you know, hunters, you'll, you'll find the hunting lobbies complaining that, well, they're, you know, they're killing, the wolves are killing too many of the animals that I'm allowed to shoot. So they're killing too many moose, for example. Now, granted, way more moose are killed by cars than by wolves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, so far they haven't suggested that you should stop driving. But, but again, it, it's this thing where 
the rights of other species come so far down the list. And of course, I, I'm not arguing that, you know, that, that an, an, a sane person would prioritize, um, you know, someone who's not related to them as closely to someone who is like, you know, you're not going to sacrifice your mother for, for a muse, right? Like it, that, that, that's obvious. Like we're always going to put our own species first, but, but there has to be some line somewhere yeah. where we decide that, you know what, like, yes, this is inconvenient to some extent, just like lions and elephants are very inconvenient to a lot of people. But, you know, the solution is not to shoot them all. We, we need to find a way to, to coexist and, and to start arguing that, well, you know, like they're intruding on our territory. It gets a bit silly, um, you know, or, or like my, they're intruding on my rights to shoot moose. It's like, but shoot fewer moose. I mean, it's like no one is forcing you to do it. Exactly. Well, and that's just, I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous uh, notion that they're just making it inconvenient for, you know, your pastime or your passion. This is really coming down to speciesism, like you've been mentioning that. And speciesism is this idea that, you know, we think, you know, we're, we're so oriented to, um, to, to, making everything about us, even if we're not hi highly aware of it. Yeah, so, no, it's yeah. tied into pretty much every ideology we have. I mean, quite, quite naturally, um, and, and, and like I said, it's, you know, it's, it is, it is natural. Like in, in many ways, it, it would be, you know, it, it would be, it would be strange if we, if every society on earth hadn't thought like that, but we, yeah, I mean, there's a, at some point, you just have to wake up and, and this this assumption that we have some greater moral right simply because we're born human, um, you know, that that can be questioned and it, and it should be questioned. It doesn't mean we need to start removing rights. It just mean, means that we need to, you know, recognize that we're not the only ones who, who have the right to this. Exactly. So I'm curious, how has that, and I love that that's like your ethos, how has that... Um, dictated other aspects of your life. And I'm probably thinking about the purchases you make and, you know, and obviously your passion and your job as, as a, a wildlife conservationist photographer is reaching thousands of people, but how do you personally um, implement this idea of trying to do the least harm and the most good and do it from a place of caring about other species? I mean, in, in some ways, I would almost flip that on its head and say that, you know, the, of, of being interested in topics like that is is the end result rather than, okay, how do I adjust my life to fit with that? I mean, I think, um, you know, often when, when asked about advice for, uh, you know, um, budding photographers and, and people who want to get into that field, you know, what are the most important things to think about? And, and, and I tend to say that, look, I know it might sound tacky, but honestly, like kindness is the biggest advice, the best advice I can give them. And, you know, you, you, you're not different as a photographer than you are as a person or in any other profession, like the, the same ethos should really be parking everything you do. And, absolutely nobody can get anywhere close to being perfect. I think the way that our world works, you're always going to have a carbon footprint and you're going to cause harm, you know, without even being aware of it. And 
all the rest of it. And and I don't think we need to go around and be guilty about that. You know, I, I think there's a tendency to, to, I don't know, like simultaneously try to do too much and, and too little. Like, you know, on the one hand, we, we should be, we should feel terrible about so much. And on the other hand, it, it's like we need to solve the biggest questions on the biggest scale. I mean, honestly, like the most important thing you can do is, is probably just try to be aware of avoiding causing unnecessary harm whenever you can. And, and yeah, but like there are some concrete things, of course, like you can avoid, you know, food waste or you can eat vegan or, you know, all, all kinds of things. But it can also just mean just smile at people. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you just, you just don't know. And, and, think before you react to things i think if, if this one that too i need to still get somewhere it's uh, respond don't react yeah you know just take that short break first and then i mean it's not really like the you know a butterfly claps its wings and there's a hurricane somewhere else but but things do have knock-on effects and you don't know you know you don't know people other people's stories you don't know how the dog on the street like what's actually going in his or her mind and how a dog's mind works anyway like just if you can avoid being unnecessarily cruel then then do it but you know don't don't go beating yourself up um when you when you make a mistake or when it doesn't work out that's a very that's a very good uh just you know yes it's like the golden rule and it should apply to all beings you know like you said if you saw a dog on the street or if you're hearing about the wolves and it's bothering you, I mean, what it, it we 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 do want to be. I think we are instinctively kind, and then just a lot of stuff gets in the way. You know, it's like the problems of the world and the problems of our own, um, you know, home life or inner world. Uh, so, what are some what are some things that you've been told that your photography has evoked for people that has made them shift in their thinking and and maybe pay a little more attention, maybe be a little less reactive, maybe be a little bit more kind. Have you have you had I mean, I, input on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I specifically write quite a lot about those topics. So, I mean, you know, I think uh, to some extent, I'm, um, I guess, gathering an audience of people who don't just look at the pictures, which is, which is nice. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think photography can be powerful but um, I, I do write quite a lot about just trying to you know slow down a little bit um, be nuanced um, you know as much as I, I I come across probably sounding harsh about the hunters in Sweden the truth is if I was actually in a conversation with them I wouldn't sound anything like that because as strong as my own feelings might be again you've got to see where other people are coming from more they're never going to listen to you uh, you know why should they because they'll, they'll have very strong opinions as well in the opposite direction and um i, I think you know so I, I i do try to bring up complex topics but but without um passing judgment not because i i don't think that there's ever judgment to be passed but because i, I think it's essentially a waste of time um and yes. and so if you know the, the the sort of the reactions that i take to heart most um, or the responses that i take to heart most um to my work are basically the ones where people say exactly that that it's it's nice to hear and like a nuanced take that isn't isn't just um yelling four letter words um, at, at the perceived other side 
Um, and and again, I mean, I think it's not part partly it's pragmatic. You know that that works great for your own like echo chamber, and everyone's like, yeah, I'll you know, go tell them. Um, but that's not going to make the slightest bit of difference in the world. So, um, but then partly it also just tends to you know I find make me a much um, more balanced and happier person. Yes, like being uh, angry is just not helpful. <laughs> just, no, it isn't. It isn't. And that's the thing is that people, there are so many things people can get really um, angry about, sad about. And I think just finding that balance, and it sounds like you're just a wonderful medium, literally in your the way that you handle, you know, being a witness, being an observer, being a, a kind of exposer, for, for lack of a better word, and, and doing it in a way that is is inviting people to into the conversation versus telling them how they should be, right? We never want to tell people how they should think or feel, but being that it's... it's I mean, a, we want to, but... No. We want to, <laughs> right? Of course, <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> but that, yeah, but, yeah. but in reality, like you said, at the yeah, end of the day, wow, it's, you true. know it's not effective, so that's kind of a waste of energy, but it's also like I always think what is going to be best for the animals when I'm trying to be a, a voice for them? And it's certainly not shaming people, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And on, on that applies to so many other things as well. I mean, if, if something goes wrong in your life, um, you know, the, the, even though it, it might be easier said than done sometimes, it's a lot, you know, it makes a lot more sense to, to rather than get hung up on that, focus on, okay, well, what, what can I do to make this better or what's the next step like what's done is done like uh, you know the, another question that comes up in interviews a lot is if you have any regrets or what would you go back and tell yourself 10 years ago regrets are completely pointless like regrets are wishful thinking about changing something that's already happened just like you know what you've done with your life until now has brought you here and made you the person you are so then you make the best of the time that's coming next like you know learn from your mistakes if you feel like your mistakes by all by all means but but trying to you know getting too hung up on them is is not yeah. going to help you i agree it's much more important to be like present for where you are now and how you know that that has probably been fertile soil in some way whether it was it, it's just it's yeah i totally agree that i don't like that question but i'm gonna ask you a question Sure. What tell us what a like kind of a typical day as a wildlife photographer is because I think that I have been around some and I see like it is not easy. I think people see this, you know, final conclusion shot and they're like, "Oh my gosh, but what tell everybody what goes into getting those type of um photographic like just masterpieces, really." <laughs> well, so as much as I said in the beginning that um, you know, titles and descriptions can it can get a bit much sometimes when you try to specify. I mean, I, I really like. I should say that so wildlife photography is a part of what I do. But if if I was to describe it, I would say like conservation photojournalism. And the reason that I'm pointing that out is is I mean actually as a working with conservation, um, a lot of the work I do doesn't involve actually seeing any animals like even my work as a photographer because so much of conservation is about the relationship with people it's between animals and people but it's also between people and people right so like a typical well, my typical conservation assignment for an NGO for me um would entail documenting rangers um whatever community projects 
the the organization um, is funding. So it might be schools. I mean, it might be conservation, like education, but it might just be a normal primary school. Um, it might be boreholes. It might be you know there there'll be meetings in the village, like with the, with people from the parks. Um, it might be um, health clinics and and all kinds of stuff. And then there's the the really sexy stuff, uh, which is like the workshop where the cars are getting fixed. And it's, you know, doing like headshots of the staff. Um, and, and then, yeah, of course, and then there's the, the, the wildlife. I mean, I love the mix. I really enjoy um, working with people and, and trying to connect with people in a way that it translates into the photographs. Not for too long, because, you know, after a couple of weeks of that, it's nice to have a break and do landscapes and wildlife or, or just sit at home and um, drink coffee and, and cuddle with Jess on the dogs. Um, because it's a lot of energy that goes into, you know, trying to really connect genuinely with people. But, um, it, you know, insofar as, as there is a typical day, which there really isn't, yes. um, a, a, a lot of these places tend to be uh, challenging. So if you, if, if you were, let's say, like a hobby wildlife photographer with money, which is how a, a lot of it works, right? Like a, a lot of the great images you see of wildlife in Kenya, for example, they're not professional photographers in the sense that that's how they make their money. Like they're obviously, you know, professional quality. Um, but that'll be, you go and you stay in a camp and yes, it's early mornings and so on, but it's still, it's quite comfortable. Um, it's like, it's what other people would just pay to do on holiday. Right. Um, uh, many of the places that, that I go to are, um, more isolated and less comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, last year, like, I, you know, during my, my breaks at home, I caught COVID on one trip, I got malaria on another. Um, oh, wow. So I spent most of my, my breaks like lying in bed <laughs> trying to recover. Um, but yeah, there seems to be like a higher um, degree of like biting insects now and then humidity than what, what people tend to imagine. And the other thing with places like that, so, you know, last year I was in, in Central African Republic. Um, for example, I was in the Democratic Republic of Congo working in parks there. Um, the, the wildlife, because they're, they're, you know, it's, it's forest, it's tropical, but there's also been a lot of conflict. And so the, the wildlife is not so numerous, and, um, is, is quite shy. So it, it could be, um, you know, in, in the Central African Republic, I was there for about two weeks. But yeah, I got one really, um, nice, um, shot of a group of antelopes from an airplane that was like one of the few, what you would probably consider like typical wildlife encounters that I had, you know, I had more encounters with, um, with nomadic herders from Sudan than, than I did with, with wild animals. It, it's, um, and it's a lot of uncomfortable car trips and, you know, camping or uh, just make, making do with, you know, it, it, it's as far from the tourist experience as, as oh, yeah. you can imagine. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we much, were so. we're usually kept quite comfortable. <laughs> yeah, no, which is great, and um, I mean, I have some jobs that are like that, and that, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, then really the main difference is that it's just more focused on on getting the images than otherwise. But but that same um, kind of theme from the mindfulness, I think, goes through that as well. Like, I, I really try not to worry about the images, and, and if you miss a shot, then okay, like. That, that's fine. Like, you know, you need to make sure that you're, you're enjoying the experience and not regardless of whether you get the job you're after. And, and I've been enjoying in, in the sense that it's, it, you know, it's, this is what I would choose to always spend my time doing because it's so comfortable and wonderful. I mean, you, you know, it can be uncomfortable, but 
discomfort passes, right? It's a temper. It's like it's a fleeting thing. You can still, you know, you can be present in that moment and enjoy it in, in that sense. Just like the fact that I get to be here and I get to see those. And uh, yeah, then, you know, if I, if I get the shots, that's great since it's my job. <laughs> but if I don't, it, like, I'm not going to go away seeing my wall. The shots were the only things I got. No, I, I got an incredible experience, even if it wasn't comfortable. Um, that not many other people get to get to see and I'm learning and, and they really appreciate you know a hot shower when I get back home to Portugal <laughs> I bet I bet well that's because you're li really living with your mission which and not for the accolades although everyone make sure you check out Marcus's page because he has lots of accolades on there he's very very humble and there are so many beautiful shots not just of animals like I love how you depict some of the changes just in you know the water um, or the, the, you know, the snow, I, one of them was like a water, like the amount of water or snow present in, in just no. a change from over not many years. And so I think that that can be very, um, so impactful. You just see this and that's, you know, again, not everybody's going to do anything about it, but it's just, it, it goes somewhere in your soul, you know, when you know, like the world is changing and there's so many things that are contributing to that. What can I do to perhaps make it a little bit brighter, a little bit, um, you know, better for, 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 you know, our generation and many generations to come. Besides being kind, do you have any last pieces <laughs> of advice for people that do really want to be like, I want to do something. And, you know, people talk about local versus world. I think they're, they're both right. It's like, it's do something, even if it's like right in your, uh, area, but you can also, look for outside of that as well but any yeah i mean, tips? I, mean I, I think the, the same thing kind of applies here that you well what whatever you do should apply to everything right so there's no you know if you if you care about what's happening somewhere else then you should also care about what's happening locally mm -hmm. it, it might not be as sexy but it's you know it, i think it's important to try to be um, consistent if you can, it doesn't mean that you have to get involved in absolutely everything. You know, it, it's not it's not an admonition. It's it's more just for yourself in general. Again, that this this should be, or this is ideally, you know, the, the way you are, and that the result of that, like one of the consequences, is that you get involved in things. But but that um, you know, that therefore, yeah, applies in, in different places. And it's easy for me to sit and say, oh, you should, you know, um, get involved locally when when my career started in Africa, uh, but, but I mean that, you know, that that's not the, the norm. Um, there aren't that many careers like that. like not in, in photography, um, certainly when I have gotten more involved at home in recent years, but when I kind of discovered what was, what was, um, what was happening there. Um, but yeah, well, I, I mean, I, Look, if if you are thinking, if you are interested in photography, for example, or conservation, doesn't really matter which one. I mean, there are obviously practical reasons for getting involved locally. Like it's just cheaper, um, for one thing. Um, and honestly, like it would probably help you if you if you really want to to try to incorporate that in your career. It'll be much more useful to you because if you go to the Maasai Mara in Kenya, well, so do all the best wildlife photographers in the world. And a lot of top researchers. I mean, you know, it's you, 
the chances that you're going to, yeah, okay, like objectively speaking, maybe you'll get what you think are better images there because you get to see lions and all the rest of it. But you're up against, you know, tens of thousands of other images of those same lions, some of them taken by people who've dedicated years to, to doing exactly that. Um, whereas, you know, closer to home, you're likely to find projects that receive almost none of the attention. Um, on, but where you can actually form relationships and you can go back again and again and you can you know you can you can learn from it but you can also benefit from it there's, there's also local newspapers mm-hmm. you know who might be interested in doing a story about a local conservation project that no one's covered yet so yeah i mean this i think there's both practical reasons for for thinking like that um as well as sort of ethical ones and, and i think it's as far as like going to africa and photographing i mean i would never I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise anyone to think that it's a particularly realistic career option. I mean, I, even, even with me, like I said, I'm quite grateful that I was, you know, to some extent, a bit delusional. Um, not that I thought I was great, but I just didn't stop the question that I, that I wouldn't work out. And I, I still had a plan like, okay, I'm going to give myself this many years. And if it doesn't work out, if I run out of money, then I, you know, I'll go back to doing something else. Um, but in, yeah, in, in hindsight, I mean, e- even with all that, the, the odds were just not in my favor. They, I mean, it was just a, you know, a lot of luck, um, and persistence, obviously, um, you know, willingness not to have a home for like, six years. So I didn't well, and passion, I think passion it, it, can go a long absolutely. way when talent might not as be, you know, it might not be as strong at first. And then that passion yeah. can, you know, that's what, and that's the conviction of like staying with something. So I think that, um, we, we do need more people doing doing your work, whether it's... You do, but, but, I, yeah. but I think also, even with all that, and, you know, it's also okay to do something on the side. Like, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, you're not less... I mean, I've, I've talked to, to, you know, other photographers who have other day jobs, right? And some of them will say that they're almost ashamed that they, they're not making a living fully as, like, a conservation photographer. Um, you know, either you're doing other photography work or commercials and weddings, or they have completely different jobs. And always though about somehow worse. It's 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 not. Like it's if you can contribute to something else, like in your spare time, and it makes it more viable for you to do it in that way, then that's fantastic. Like I'd much rather have, you know, ten thousand people doing it in their spare time than ten people doing it full time, even though those ten people are great as well. But there's a limit to how much you can you can cover and you know, you don't need people to kind of ruin their own lives um, and end their finances because that's the only way that they think it's okay to do something. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, I, I, I think would be the chance that I would have had ended up with this career if it wasn't for the conservation degree that got me access in the first place is zero. I would like this absolutely no way because it took years to, to get to a level where it was feasible for me to you know, to make a living from the photography and the writing. And during that time, like getting access to those places was entirely through the, the conservation degree, like nothing else. Um, yeah. It's kind of like yoga teaching, you know, like a lot of people yeah. can't do it full time and they shouldn't be ashamed that they have another job, but that it's just, yeah, that there's, I think this is all part of it. Well, let's end with bridging this into <laughs> lit. I know that you've been practicing lit. Has it helped you? 
when you're like squished in a Jeep or in a, in a tent uncomfortable, how are you? Um, how has your lovely wife, Jess, who is on our lit daily, uh, platform on prime. She's amazing. We love her, but how, how has lit impacted your, your life at all? Well, yeah, definitely much more aware of my core <laughs> when on a bouncing car. Oh <laughs> yes. That's true. No, it, it, it has, um, you know, it's, it's been challenging, um, over the years to try to combine like a, a real interest in staying healthy with a very intense job in uncomfortable places. So, you know, I often have very good intentions um, ahead of big trips and this is what I'm going to do. And then, um, you know, after a few more thirty starts on long days and not much food, then that goes completely out the window. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, just the, the I mean, I have to say like the change and I, I do love the change with, with Jess as well, like since she started lips, um, as opposed to kind of general, um, yoga promptly is that it's, it has to be spelled so much more, um, useful because it just makes more sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, for obvious reasons, like <laughs> I'm very sunny space as well. So like, oh, yeah. I like when things add up and, and, you know, you, you can, you buy the explanations. Um, but I, but I think that like that focus on body awareness and motion awareness, I guess you like might be a way of putting it as well. Like, it, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's made it easier to do shorter stints of things and feel like it makes a difference, but, but actually like yeah i guess to tie it back with with the, the general theme like it's it's made sense because i feel like it's it can be applied to other situations mm -hmm. much more easily than other forms of training just because it goes back to like to to the basics of how the body actually works and so being able to control movements and so on and that you can do even if you're not on a yoga mat which you know, I've had to stop ringing because I just have too much photography gear. I can't, yeah, I, can't I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, you can always just uh, spread out something. Well, I love that. I love that. And I love seeing you on her videos. Um, I could talk to you all day. I love everything you're doing. I would love to do some kind of like yoga retreat, photography, conservation, whole, all mixed it. So we'll have to talk about that sometime. But in the meantime, can you tell everybody who's listening where they can find out more about you and all that you're doing, see your photography and your writings. Of course, your writings are also beautiful, I should mention. Yeah, the easiest is, is probably um, Instagram or, or Facebook, um, Marcus Westbrook Photography on both. I, I, I'm active, more active on Instagram, but it gets posted to the Facebook page as well. Um, I do have a website, but I think the last time I wrote anything or note on that was like a year ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So I know, websites are, they take a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, exactly. Whereas Instagram, like, like I do, I post when I have something to say. Um, mm -hmm. So you can go there for pretty pictures, but there's, you know, the captions are usually pretty extensive as well and might not have anything to do with the photos, but um, it, it's where I kind of note my musings. On, on yeah, everybody, write. make sure you read the captions. They're they're beautiful, and, and we'll have uh, that in you. the show notes. Lasting, just a last, like, uh, send-off here. Any kind of quote or mantra i know these are always kind of cheesy but <laughs> that you really live by it might be something you've already said yeah if, if there is um anything in terms of all but like the, the the catchy quote would be, would be uh, respond don't react which mm. i'm not sure if it's quoting anyone in particular but it, 
it definitely came out of Sam Harris and, and his kind of mindfulness, um, both in waking up bath, but also just some of his talks on, on mindfulness, which I really enjoy. Um, and then I suppose it's not really a quote, but I, mean, I think it's always useful, especially when you you risk getting into um, arguments or, or reacting to something too quickly, just to, to just ask yourself, is it, is it necessary? Is it kind? Mm-hmm. Or maybe the other way around. Is it kind? And if it's not kind, is it necessary? Um, yes, I, I live. I live. <laughs> yes, I live by that too. Is it kind? Is it necessary? Yes, I love that. And that it's okay. Like you know, we're not always going to live up to it. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Right. It's That's like, part of being human. We're not perfect, but I think yeah, well, you just try and try again next time. Yes, and let's just really embrace this world and not just uh, as. I mean, we want to be nice to other people, but we also want to really want to take care of our animal brothers and sisters who um, who are usually most most um, affected by some of our choices. So I think... Yeah, and, and do you think that we are not deeply connected those those two things? Um, you know, I think it's it's quite naive. Like, it's not going to benefit us in the, in the long run to not have an actual world, and it's certainly going to um, make life much less interesting. Yes, much more. So thank you so much again for your time. It was wonderful to talk to you, Marcus. Mark Andrew, and we'll talk to you as well. And for everyone listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.